we open God's Word today, we're talking about I'm thankful for purpose. When I think about my life as a, as a little boy, I was in Sunday school pretty much every Sunday. We had wonderful Sunday school teachers, and they wanted to teach us God's Word and good theology. And one of the things that they used to do, and which I understood as a child, they would often say, now when you do this, this is the church, and this is the steeple. And when you open the door, there's the people. And so that was, that was understood as a, as a child. The, the more I grew, and even in theology, I understood a little bit different perspective. Uh, again, we'll just go with this because when you think about this, the church, this building is not the church. You and I are the church. Those who have been born again, who have been redeemed in Christ, we are the church. But, and then after I discovered that, and then later in life and ministry, I started working with pastors and churches and doing some consultation stuff together. And I would go into many churches, and then let's just use that again. This is a church. This is a steeple. You open the door, and then you would say, where's the people? Because many churches I would go in, they were almost empty. They needed revitalization. They needed new life again. And I, there, there are churches all around us in Tennessee and other states as well that this morning would have a seating capacity of a 1,000 people or more. But if you went into worship with them this morning, you might find 10, 15 people. Those churches need to reach people with the gospel. You say, why is it the case? Why would a church have a seating capacity of over 1,000 people and have 10, 15, 20 people there? In many ways, we've never left a building to engage lostness with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We get into this idea, you come and see. Truth of the matter, many people aren't coming. But the Bible says very clearly from Jesus in the Great Commission that we are to go and tell. Now again, what we do in this building matters as we come together to worship and pray and make much of Jesus. But he wants us to exit this building and leave this parking lot and to be on mission for him because lostness is all around you and me. But the question is, when you look at your family, you look at your school, your workplace, when you think about people you meet in the community, are you engaging people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And then we think about nations around the world. Change is a word that many people like, and change is a word that many people dislike. And I would imagine there are people today, you like certain aspects of change, and then you resist other aspects of change. But when I walk into an airport anymore, it reminds me that the world changed on September 11, 2001. Life changed because of all the security procedures that we have to do now. When I look around our church and I see our safety procedures that we have, and again, they're rightfully needed in our day. When I think about what we do when it comes to background checks and ministry safe training and two people in every room and the way we carry those out, and even with police officers on our campus on Sundays and Wednesdays, life and even church has changed over the years. And then I just watch the evening news or the morning news and you see all that's going on in our world and you realize change is happening at such a rapid pace right before our eyes. And then you look back and many of you were in school at this time back in the 1940s. And you look at school in the 1940s, what issues did they deal with in the 40s? And they said, again, research I've read says that the major problems in schools in the 1940s, chewing gum in class, running in the halls, missing the wastebasket, making noise, and getting out of line. That's the 1940s. And then you look at 2023 and you say, what are the issues that we're dealing with in school? 
They look so different now than what they were in the 1940s. Now we're talking about drug and alcohol abuse. Now we're talking about sexual immorality. Now we're talking about disrespect. We're talking about threats. We're talking about violence. That's the world we're in. Things have changed at such a rapid pace right before our eyes. Now, when you and I look at the world and we see all the issues and all the problems, it's, it's possible that we could get a hard heart and we become somewhat cynical. But let me give you good news. Even in the midst when things are changing at a rapid pace and we see so much dysfunction right before our eyes, the good news around the world and even in our own nation and even in our own city, Almighty God is still changing the lives of boys and girls and men and women. The gospel of God's grace is still at work in the lives of people. And we get an opportunity to be a part of that. Well, I want you to take your outline just for a moment. I want you to write these words down, what never changes. I promise you this, living in Tennessee, the weather is going to change. Uh, it, it's, it'll be hot one day, cold the next day, and pretty soon it's just going to be all cold. And so and the weather's going to change. I promise you the stock market's going to change. It'll be up one day, down the next day. It's wise sometimes not even look at it because it can affect you in many ways. And then your sports team, I promise you, going to change. There are some Saturdays they play great. Then another Saturday they play lousy. And so it's going to change. But let me give you some things today that you can base your life on that will never, ever change. Are you ready? Here they are. Number one is the Lord. I promise you this. The Lord Jesus Christ is never going to change. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you look in the past, Jesus was the same. When you look in the present, Jesus is the same. When you look in the future, Jesus is the same. He is the Son of God, Savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is the one who went to Calvary's cross and shed his blood and gave his life for us, who's victorious over death and the grave. Jesus Christ will never, ever change in our lives. He is the same again, yesterday, today, and forever. Number two is the Bible. When you look at God's Word, this is the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation. It's inerrant and it's infallible. It's authoritative. The Bible will never change. First Peter says this, that the grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. You can rest assured that this book has absolute truths. This is how we should live. This is what we should do. The Word of God will always stay the same. We should never add to it. We should never take away from it. We should base our lives to preach God's Word, the whole counsel of God, because the Word of God will stay the same. Number three, the method of salvation. The method of salvation is never going to change. When you look back a hundred years ago, somebody got saved, they got saved because of Jesus. If somebody got saved five years ago, it was because of Jesus. Somebody got saved last week, it was because of Jesus. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The message of salvation will never, ever change. It's the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his burial in the tomb. It's his resurrection on the third day. His ascension back to the Father. One day Jesus is coming again. The way of salvation. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. There is only one name and that is the name of Jesus. And people either bow their knees to him now and surrender to him as Savior and Lord, or one day, the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
So what do we see? We see the Lord never changes, the Bible never changes, the method of salvation never changes, and number four, the mission of the church never changes. That's when we come to say, I'm thankful for a purpose, and that's the Great Commission. So when you look at the mission of the church, what is the mission of the church? It is to fulfill the Great Commission. This is not optional. This is the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's imperative for us that we obey Him. The mission of the church never, ever changes. Many years ago, LifeWay Research asked a number of people to say, what do you believe the purpose of the church is? One of the predominant answers to that question was this. What is the purpose of the church? And here's what many, many people said. The purpose of the church is to meet my needs. Can I just share with you as brothers and sisters in Christ, the purpose of the church is not to meet your needs or simply my needs. The purpose of the church is to make much of Jesus and to take the good news, the gospel, to every boy, every girl, every man, every woman, to the ends of the earth. These are the marching orders the Lord Jesus Christ gave us as a church and those of us who are believers. As Dr. Paul Chitwood said, the greatest problem in the world is lostness and the purpose of the church is getting the gospel to solve that problem because the problem of lostness can be solved when people hear the good news of Jesus, surrender their lives, lives to him and experience his grace and forgiveness that is the purpose of the church that we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ partnering together to get the gospel to people in our city in our state nation and to nations around the world the purpose of the church will never ever change and so when you look at those things you think well what was never changed well the Lord's not the Bible's not the mess of salvation is not the mission of the church is not Again, when we get to heaven, things are going to be very different. We understand that. But on this earth, here's what he has called us to do. So as we look at at Matthew chapter 28, I want to walk through this. I'm going to do point number one here in just a moment. Brother John, Pastor John is going to come and do point number two. And then Pastor Jorge is going to come and do point number three. But let me sit at point number one. Obey Jesus as he extends his invitation. Listen as Jesus extends his invitation. When you look at this text in Matthew 28, he says, Now... All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. When you look at the Lord Jesus Christ, you look at his authority. Here's what I want you to know. He taught with authority. He healed people with authority. He forgave sins with authority. He has authority over our enemy, Satan, but also he sent his disciples out with authority as well. He has all authority. What that means is he has all power. And then he comes back and he says this, Go therefore and make disciples. He is inviting them to come and to follow him. When you read the life of the Lord Jesus, he was always giving people an invitation. When it came to the message of salvation, he's inviting them to trust him. In Luke chapter 19, a chief tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus, Jesus invited him to come down out of a tree and Jesus would change his life. And the gospel of the Lord Jesus changed Zacchaeus' life. When you look at fishermen, they were out there fishing, mending their nets, doing all the things that fishermen would do. Jesus called them to leave everything and to come and to follow him because he was going to use them in ministry. He's still calling people to be saved and he's still calling people to ministry. In in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said to all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I want you to come to me and I will give you rest. For everyone in this room and those who are watching, you find yourself overwhelmed in life. You don't have to be overwhelmed because he's inviting you to come to him and he will give you rest in your life. 
And then when you look at the church and the marching orders, the Great Commission, again, it's not optional. This is a command. He's asking us that we would go to the nations around the world. We do so in his authority, but we also do so because we are followers of him. Now, as you look at this statement here, listen as Jesus extends his invitation. What, what causes us not to follow him? What causes us not to go? I want to give you three words. I encourage you to write these down. But what causes us to miss obeying the Great Commission? Number one is the word fear. We're just simply afraid. As you think about it, you think, well, I can't go to the nations around the world or I can't even go somewhere in my own city because you say it's dangerous in other places around the world. I don't know if I'd make it there. I might get injured there. I might get kidnapped there. Something might happen. I don't know if I could do that or not. It's just too dangerous and I can't go to some nation around the world. Again, you have to use common sense and the peace of Christ. I get all those things. But can I enlighten you a little bit? It is dangerous in our city. Not just nations around the world. But many people say no to his great commission and his call to follow him because they just live out of fear. Not a reverence for God, but out of fear to say, I could never obey him because I'm afraid what I might experience. But if we don't have anything to fear, why? Because the Great Commission says, what did Jesus say? I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And so if you go to Bird Elementary or you go somewhere else in our city or county, you go somewhere else in our state, nation, or you go somewhere to nations around the world, you don't do that on your own. Jesus has promised to be with you. He's with us always to the very end of the age. But many times we don't go because we're afraid. Second word is the word comfort. Many times we don't obey the Great Commission because we get comfortable. We look at life and say, I'm comfortable in life. My relationships are comfortable. My career is comfortable. It seems to be moving upward. And so we get comfortable. And what do we do? We dig our heels in and say, I just will not do what the Lord is asking me to do. Comfort can get in the way of obedience for the children of God. I just want to encourage you. Thank the Lord for all he's blessed us with. He has been so good to us. But I pray you never let the comforts of this life get in the way from following the leadership of Christ. Let me give you the third word, success. Many times people don't go and engage with the Great Commission because of success. Life seemed to be going well. Surely the Lord wouldn't call me to leave what I'm experiencing right now to go somewhere else and to do something else so success can get in the way. Let me remind you, Luke chapter 5. Jesus got in the boat of Simon Peter, asked him to push out into the deep water. Simon said, well, Lord, we've worked all night. We haven't caught anything. And Jesus said, but I want you to let down the nets again. And they did so. And what happened? They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And they had to partner together to get all those fish in the boat. It was one of the most successful fishing days Peter ever experienced. And then what did the Lord ask him to do after that successful fishing day? Peter, I want you to put your boat back up on shore. I want you to leave everything, and I want you to come and to follow me. Success can get in the way. Acts chapter 8, Philip is there preaching a revival. God is moving. Souls are being stirred and saved. It's an incredible movement of God. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Philip, I want you to leave here and I want you to get on the desert road. I want you to go south down to Gaza. And what are you going to do? You're going to meet an Ethiopian eunuch there and the Lord is going to change that man's life. 
And so what seemed to be successful, all of a sudden the Lord's leading him away from that and leading him to one person. Here's a word I would give you. Success can be the greatest hindrance from you going where Jesus wants you to go. If we're going to be about the Great Commission, we're going to listen as he extends his invitation. We have to overcome fear because the Lord is with us. We can't get comfortable because we need to be obedient. And if God calls us to leave a successful situation, we follow the leadership of God because we know his will, his ways are absolute best for us as believers in Christ. So Brother John's going to come and give us an understanding as Jesus explains his instructions. And after that, Pastor Jorge is going to come and share point three with us as well. Good morning. Uh,先生，두번두번째죠。예수님명령이있다는순종에대해서말씀드리겠습니다。오베에스，Jesus The only way to achieve this goal is to obey. 순종의 의미는 여러분도 잘 알다시피 하나님의 말씀을 듣고 그대로 살면서 실천하면 되는 것입니다. 매우 쉽죠. 그러나 순종이 그렇게 쉽지는 않습니다. 우리는 백번 하나님 말씀에 순종하며 살지 못합니다. What does obedience mean? It is listening to the word of God and living and putting it into practice. But obedience is not that easy to be honest. We cannot live in 100% obedience to the word of God. 그런데 예수님은 하나님 아버지께 완벽하게 순종하셨습니다. However, Jesus perfectly obeyed God the Father. 그렇기 때문에 우리는 예수 그리스도 안에서 순종한 자로 인정을 받은 것이고 그래서 우리는 모두 기독교인이라고 칭함을 받습니다. That is why we are recognized as obedient people in Jesus Christ. That is why we all called ourselves Christians. 성경에는 많은 인물들이 하나님께 순종했던 모습으로 나옵니다. 그러나 그들 모두가 다 처음부터 순종했던 것은 아닙니다. In the Bible Many people appear as obedient to God. However, not all of them were obedient from the beginning. 그들이 순종하기까지는 하나님의 강권하심이 있었습니다. This is because it took God's coalition for them to obey. 특히 뉴웨이의 회개 복음을 전하러 갔던 요나를 보면 요나가 하나님 말씀에 순종하기까지 하나님의 강권하심이 있었습니다. In particular, when we look to look at Jonah, who went to Nineveh to preach the gospel of repentance, there was God's urging until Jonah obeyed God's word. 이방인의 사도라고 불렀던 사도 바울도 마찬가지였습니다. 그러나 사도 바울의 순종은 좀 달랐습니다. The same was true for Apostle Paul, 
who was called an apostle to the Gentiles. However, Apostle Paul's obedience was a little different. 왜냐하면 사도 바울의 순종은 충성이었기 때문입니다. Because Apostle Paul's obedience was loyalty. 그 예를 들면 사도 바울이 담에서기서 예수님을 만나서 욕망이 무너지고 예수님께 돌아와 회심하는 놀라운 일이 있었습니다. For example, the Apostle Paul met Jesus Christ in Damascus. His desires were broken, and he was converted back to Jesus. 사도행전의 그 장면을 세 번에 걸쳐서 사도 바울이 예수 그리스도를 만남을 표현하고 있습니다. 그런데 그 장면을 각각 다르게 표현을 했습니다. In the Acts of the Apostles, that scene appears three times. Depicting the Apostle Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ. However, each scene is expressed differently. 첫 번째 사도행전 9장 3절에 보면 호련이 하늘에서 빛이 저대로 둘로 비추는지라 예수님을 빛으로 표현했습니다. First, in Acts 9:3, suddenly a night light from heaven and stone shone around him. Jesus was described as light. 그리고 두 번째는 사도행전 22장 6절을 보시면 하늘로서 큰 빛이 저로 둘로 비쳤다라고 말합니다. 예수님이 큰 빛이라고 말을 합니다. And the second, Acts 22 verse 6, a great light from heaven. Jesus is expressed as a, a great light. 세 번째를 보시면 사도행전 26장 13절을 보시면 해보다 더 밝은 빛, 즉 예수님을 해보다 더 밝은 빛이라고 표현을 했습니다. Third, Acts 26 and 13, a light brighter than the sun. Jesus was described as a light brighter than the sun. 이 말은요, 사도 바울이 담에서 만났던 예수님을 그 예수님이 점점 더 크게 나에게 부각되어 되기 때문입니다. 즉 다가왔다는 뜻입니다. This means that Jesus, who, who he met in Damascus, approached Paul with the increasingly greater light of grace. 그것은 주님의 명령을 수용하면서, 순종하면서, 즉 복음을 전하면 전할수록 그의 은혜가 더욱 더 커졌다는 말입니다. That is in obeying, obeying the Lord's commands. That is the more the gospel was preached. The greater the Lord grace becomes. 예수님을 만난 담역석 장면 한번 여러분들이 그려보세요. 얼마나 많은 감사를 가졌기 때문에 그가 예수님 만날 때 처음에는 빛, 두 번째는 큰 빛이 해보다 더 밝은 빛이라고 표현을 했을까요? Picture the scene in Damascus where you met Jesus. Can you feel the emotion of Apostle Paul? How much great uh, gratitude did he have that led him to express light, great light, that a light brighter than the sun? 진정으로 주님의 은혜를 아는 자들은 그 마음 속에 사도 바울처럼 감사와 감격이 터져 나와야만 합니다. Those who truly know the grace of the Lord must burst out with gratitude. And joy in their hearts, like Apostle Paul. 그 이유는 그 주의 모습이 해보다 더 밝은 빛으로 나에게 다가오기 때문입니다. 
The reason is because the image of the Lord comes to me in the form of a light brighter than the sun. 물론 우리는 사도 바울처럼 그렇게 그 사약을 다할 수는 없습니다. Of course, we cannot do all of his ministry like Apostle Paul. 그러나 가장 중요한 사실은 주님으로부터 사도 바울에게 비쳤던 해보다 더 밝은 빛이 이 시간 우리에게 똑같이 비추고 있다는 사실을 믿어야 한다는 것입니다. However, we must believe that the light brighter than the sun that the Lord shone on Apostle Paul is shining on us at this time. Amen. 따라서 사도 바울이 가졌던 순종과 또 사도 바울의 충성의 그, 그 방향성과 지향성은 지켜야만 할 것입니다. Therefore, we must have the direction and orientation of loyalty, the end point of obedience that Apostle Paul had. 또한 예수님을 따르는 모든 사람에게는 성령이 주어졌습니다. All followers of Jesus have been given His Holy Spirit. 성령의 인도하심에 굴복함으로써 우리가 예수님의 명령을 따를 수 있게 해주실 것입니다. By surrendering to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, He will enable us to follow His commands. 이로사라님께 영광을 받으시고 우리는 기쁨을 누리게 될 것입니다. In this 아멘. way, God will be glorified and we will experience joys. Amen. Amen. Wow, amazing grace. It is so awesome to be here together. This is just a small taste of what is heaven is going to be when all nations that cannot be counted. There are so many, and we're part, and you are part. God bless you. God bless that that saved us. Great commission. Hmm. The Lord said here that all power is given unto him. On earth and in heaven. He is almighty. He is the one that made possible that we are here today. And that we will be together for all eternity. And let me you know, it is a long time. It is a long time. So long that we cannot understand. I got the easy part to talk about. E, there is that I am with you all days till the end of the earth. What power he has given us. The knowledge that we are not alone, but the, he is with us every day. Good days, bad days. There's no bad days. If, if your Lord Jesus Christ is with you, because he will change your sorrows into joy, our tears in rejoicing. Thank God for that. And He is inviting us. He is inviting every one of us to be part of His kingdom, to be a fruitful part of His kingdom. You know, a few years ago, I was serving my Lord as a NAM missionary, church planters in the great state of Kentucky southern western part of Kentucky and I was ministering in that 
County, Little River Baptist Association as a church planter and working with the Hispanics in that area. And I got involved with several of the church pastors. Some of them were small churches, some of them medium-sized churches, but they saw the need to preach even to those that they could not even understand and that they knew that they were never going to be part of their churches because they were migrant workers that came here every year. But they understood that even though they are never going to be part of their church, that they needed the Lord Jesus Christ and invited me to help them. And I did. And one of the tasks that I, one year, we decided is to go to their homes back in Mexico. So we planned, and we planned. And the associational missionary joined us. And five pastors of five different churches decided to hear the Macedonian call and go to Mexico. And we called. And we called our IMB contacts in Guadalajara, Mexico. And we flew there, not knowing anything. But when the plane landed at the airport, that missionary was there to pick us up in an IMB van that was purchased with the lot of money offerings that you guys gave. And he went with us across the state of Guadalajara and went into the next state of Nayarit. And we were part of the campaign that was organized by the Third Baptist Church of Guadalajara. They had developed a mission, started a mission in this little town, forgotten, Tuxpan. And he was with us for one week. And we had evangelistic encounters every day, all day long and night. And the Lord got glorified. And there were several, several, several hundreds of people that accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And all that happened because somebody took the decision to follow Jesus Christ, to obey his command, and left the comfort of his home, the comfort of his church, the comfort of the state of Kentucky, leave the United States of America, and went to Mexico. Wow. And the Lord is saying the same thing. But I want you to point out that even though we don't know him, he loves us. And he's inviting us to meet him face to face. And I want to talk for a few minutes about Second Samuel chapter 9. And starting on verse uh, 3, we hear the story of King David had already being declared king of Israel. And he wanted to have mercy with his enemies. And he has he asked his crew, is there anybody left from the house of King Saul? King Saul has looked to harm him, to kill him, persecuted him every day. But even though he had the opportunity to put, lay hands on him and kill him. King David said, he's anointed of the Lord. The Lord is going to take care 
of him. And he had made a pact of love with King Saul's son, Jonathan. And he promised Jonathan that he will always be his friend. Do you know that Jesus Christ has said the same thing about us? We are his friends. And we are more than friends. We are with him. We are one in him. When he has that to his follower, they say, you know what? I think there is still one one guy. He's paralyzed. His name is Mephibosheth. And he called Mephibosheth to his presence. You know, in those days, the norm was you kill everybody that is your enemy. Once you become king, you kill everyone in the family of those that opposes you. But David made the opposite. He had mercy. And he looked for this young man to have mercy upon him. Mephibosheth was hiding. He was scared. He knew that if he was any other king, his days were counted. He was going to die. Certainly he was going to die. And he came fearful before the king, fearing for his life, for what was going to be of him and his own family. But King David promised him that he was going to be with him till the end, that he would eat, he would eat out of his table, his food, he would clothe him, he would give him everything that was rightfully souls. He didn't have to do that, but he did that out of love. And we can see in King David, Jesus Christ, love for us, unconditional love. He knew that he deserved to be killed, to be put to death, but he decided not to do that, not take that life into his hand, but have mercy. And we all deserve death. But he says that he will, he will change the life that we were not expecting. He will change sorrow, condemnation into joy, rejoicing, and eternal life. Eternal life. Why? Because he is king. King of mercy. A few years ago, I went to Mexico, up in the mountains, into a small town. Maybe 500 people in the whole town. And we would start, we start going. They didn't even have roads. They had trails, dirt, gravel. And I was walking one afternoon throughout visiting house to house, the community. And this lady came to us. She was probably about 75, 80 years old. And she had planted a, an orange tree in, his, in her garden. And that year that we went was the first year 
that that tree gave her an orange. There was only one orange on that tree. And you know what she did? She cut the orange down and offered it to us. And I said, man, such love, such passion. That night, during service time, she came. She walked one hour through those trails to come to church. One hour. No shoes, no sandals. Just took off from his house and started walking and went to church that night. And that, that, that is why this church is special. Because she gave it to me with all her love. Because she understood that God has sent us there. Not because they were good. Not because they were rich. But because God that sent us loved her. And she could not do less than that. That give everything that she had. She gave us that orange. That was all that she had. She had planted that tree. She had waited five years. And when that first fruit came, she presented it to the church. <clears throat> Brothers, sisters, there are many out there that need to hear that Jesus is still in the business of salvation. That there is still power in the blood. That if we come to the cross and humble ourselves, he will listen our prayers and he will save us. It don't matter what language we speak. It don't matter if we are white or black. It don't matter if we are rich or we are poor. At the feet of the cross, we are all the same. Sinners in need of a gracious and merciful Savior, Jesus Christ. And the, need, the world needs to listen to this. Because there is no other way. Like the old hymn, but be happy in Jesus. That's the only place that we're going to find hope and fulfillment for our lives. So we need to give. We need to get out of our comfort zones, abandon everything, and follow his voice. I'm not saying that everybody here has been called to Mexico to be a preacher for evangelism. I'm not saying that you had to go to Korea. But wherever he lives, you just have to say, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'm going to go to the porter's house. I'm going to put myself in your hands. Break me and make me anew. Make my soul be awakened by your Holy Spirit so I might receive the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and preach with power the gospel because the gospel is the only thing that can save. We need to hear the truth of the Bible that Jesus Christ came to this earth to become flesh, to live a sinless life, and to die at the cross 
to conquer our final enemy, death. With power, he conquered death. And because he is the firstborn, because he is at the right-hand side of the throne of of God the Father, we got hope. Because he is there interceding before the throne of God for us. And even when we don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit that is in us prays for us, brings our prayers before that throne. And when he hears our prayers, you better believe it, he's going to answer. He's never tired. He's never busy. He's never going to say, you have bothered me too much. You've, you, you already reached the limit. No. He will listen and he will answer. Why? Because he loves you. And he has a purpose for you. He wants you to live a purposely good life for his glory. Not for my glory, not for my kingdom, but for his glory and for his kingdom. So thank you for listening to this plea. Don't forget those that are still not in here. Bible says clearly that at the end times, he will call up from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, and will bring them to his holy mount. This is his holy mount. The river of eternal life flows from the church. And the church is not the building. The church is every one of us that has trusted him to be our Lord and our Savior. Thank you. Thank you. I really invite you to go to the fellowship hall and go around and talk with those that had decided to follow Jesus in different ministries, in different capacities, and become one. Because together, we can be more effective than doing it by ourselves. God bless you. Thank you, brother, for the opportunity. Thank you. Today, let me tie it together. Let's stand together this morning, and we're going to sing in just a moment, nothing but the blood of Jesus. As I think about his invitation, I think about his instructions, I think about his involvement, most of us in this room and most of you watching from nations around the world, you know something about the Coca-Cola company. In 1886, there was a gentleman in Atlanta, Georgia, Dr. John Pemberton, had a little kittle in his backyard, and he created something in that kittle, and it became known as Coke. He took it down to Jacob's Pharmacy and, and uh, allowed them to taste it. And on average, back in those days, in 1886, Coca-Cola was selling nine drinks a day. That was all. I was looking last night on their website at their mission and vision, and it says on average, every single day, Coca-Cola sells 2.2 billion servings of Coke every day in over 200 countries. And then you read about their history and their beginnings, and you read about their vision and what they want to do, and then you look at the end result. And here's ultimately what they say as a Coca-Cola company. We want every person in the world to have the opportunity to taste a Coca-Cola product. Do you get that vision? Every person in the world to have an opportunity to taste a Coca-Cola product. I was in the bushes of Africa one time and 
I was walking down this dirt trail, had some believers with me, and, and we were in the middle of nowhere. And going down this dirt trail, there was a little shack down there, and they said that's a little convenience store, and not anything like we would have here, but a little convenience store. And so we stopped in there as we were walking down this trail, and guess what was in that store? In the middle of nowhere, Coca-Cola. It had made its way all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, to somewhere in the bushes of Africa. Here's what I want to challenge us with. If Coca-Cola desires as a company that every person in the world would taste one of their products, First Baptist, those who've been saved and our sins have been forgiven because of the blood of Christ, we should have a burning desire that every person in the world would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There are still thousands of unreached people groups around the world with no access to the gospel, no one sharing the good news of Christ. I would be safe to say there are people in your family who need Jesus. There are people in your school who need Jesus. There's people in your workplace who need Jesus. There are people you're going to meet today somewhere in this community who need Jesus. And it's multiplied around the world. So as we think about his invitation, his instructions, he's promised to be with us, his involvement. We gather in this building, but here in just a moment, we're going to leave and enter the mission field. Who have you invited to church in the past week? How many gospel conversations have you had right here in our own community in the past seven days? Just ask the Lord to use you. If Coca-Cola can get their product to the nations around the world, we should be able to get the good news of Jesus to nations around the world as well. As we pray, as we give, as we go, as we send, as we educate, let's make sure every boy and girl and every man and woman can hear what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we're going to give you an invitation this morning to give your life to Christ, to take a step of obedience and baptism, to join the fellowship of this church, to say yes to his call. What is he inviting you to do? If he called fishermen years ago, he's still calling people today. And maybe the Lord's put somebody on your heart with a burden to say, he or she needs Jesus. And the Lord wants to use me to be his ambassador, his witness. And you obey him. Our pastoral staff's going to be here. Our prayer team's going to be here. We're going to sing nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I pray today, if you're watching somewhere around the world, you'll respond to us on the platform you're watching. We'd love to engage you with the good news of Christ. And those of us in this room, this altar is open from our ministry, the Hispanic ministry, the Korean ministry. We're all one together in Christ, that we would get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Father, we give you thanks today. And thank you that we can worship in your name and your presence for your glory. We give an invitation, inviting people to come to you. Thank you for the blood of Christ that has washed our sins away. And Lord Jesus, I pray today in this invitation, people will run to you and embrace you and experience life change in you. And we pray these things today in Jesus' amazing, amazing, gracious name. Amen.